God bless America. Boom, there it is. The intro music and the motto, God bless America. I'm back. Well, hopefully I'm back for you and you guys listen to the intro, uh, the intro part one episode. This is Andrew Britton back with the Red, White, and True podcast intro episode part two. But I'd like to start off here by saying that, guys, I am not a professional podcaster, so I'd like to clean up a few things from the previous episode. Um, I have a, a part where we're talking about the economy, and I say that we've seen 5% decrease since the beginning of 2021. And that number is actually relative to the stock market, not in GDP, where in the first six months of the year, we have seen the GDP fall, and the numbers keep changing a bit, but it's about 2 to 3%. So we have seen two negative quarters of GDP, which is ultimately the point I was trying to get to. But the stock market, we've seen a a more dramatic fall, which isn't always relative of the entire economy, but it is a good indicator. Another thing that I talk about and that I play at the beginning of the previous podcast is a clip from one of our previous presidents. And I think it is such a powerful clip. I think it embodies the mentality that we should take when we try to tackle any issue in the United States of America that we don't take a defeatist attitude into anything. It's such a positive message. And I want to play this clip again for you so that I can talk to you about who this clip comes from, because I don't mention it in the previous podcast. Our democracy must be not only the envy of the world, but the engine of our own renewal. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. And that is Bill Clinton, a president who famously lost Congress, and found a way to work across the aisle with Newt Gingrich, a Republican, to write legislation in the betterment for the American people. Tell them like it is. That's what I'm trying to do here, President Obama. I really appreciate that. But before we really get started here, there's a couple of things that I want to define here because there's some terms that we've heard getting thrown around here lately. Uh, First, I, I want to define socialism. Socialism is a political and economic theory of social organization which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the government as a whole. So that essentially means that the government is in charge of and regulates every single aspect of our lives. This is a form of government that has failed over and over and over again. Really? So essentially, the more the government is involved in things, the more likely... Your system is to fail. Another thing that we've heard here recently, a term that we hear a lot, is Marxism. And that is the, or a, theory and practice of socialism, including the labor theory of value, class struggle, dictatorship of the lower class until the establishment of a classless society. So in a sense, you have a ruling class, and then you have everybody else. That's crazy, Tom. It is, yet again, Another form and theory of government that has failed over and over and over again. We can give multiple examples throughout history. The Soviet Union, Nazi Germany. Yes, these systems have failed over and over and over again. But something that we've heard here recently that I think is important that we define, and that is the term fascism. Okay, Fascism is a system of government led by a dictator who typically rules by force and often violence to opposition and criticism. Now smile, you look terrified. And that is terrifying. And you should be terrified because fascism is awful. It has been a large part of some of the biggest atrocities ever committed in human history. And we just recently heard our president call many millions of Americans 
and Republicans fascist. What a load of rubbish. Okay, this is an absolute lie. This is an absolute lie. Let, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, guys. When you hear two people that are making an argument, they're making an argument like, like politicians do in a campaign, and you have one person that is making strictly fear and emotional-based arguments, calling names, using buzzwords like fascism. No matter how much you hear the mainstream media echo this sentiment, they know, they know that conservatives, Republicans, even though they call them MAGA Republicans or ultra MAGA, they know that they're not fascist. They know that that's absolutely not true. But when you hear the other side, when you have two people making an argument, is making fact-based arguments, wanting to talk about the policies, talk about the issues, how we're failing, how we can make things better, what the solutions are. I can tell you who I am most likely going to listen to and who I'm most likely going to lean to. And that's going to be the person that's making fact-based arguments about policies and decisions that actually positively affect us, not resorting to name-calling and slander. And we've also seen another phenomenon here in politics that is kind of new. So when politicians have a large lead in the polls, a lot of times they won't go do debates because they're so far ahead in the polls. Debating would, would only give an opportunity for the other person to make up a bunch of ground. But in close races, in the types of races that we have going on in the midterm elections, there are many, many liberals that have refused to do live interviews and refused to do debates. You should be ashamed of yourself. And I ask you this, whether you're a Democrat, an Independent, or a Republican, I don't care. I don't consider myself anything. I consider myself conservative. I've already established this in the last uh, in the last podcast. I am conservative-leaning. But I don't care who you are. If you are going to work for us, the people, we are your boss. You better interview for us. And you better tell us what you believe in and what you stand for and what you're going to do to make our lives better. If you don't interview, you don't get the job. Or at least you shouldn't get the job. Because if you can't stand up and tell me what you believe in and what you stand for, or if you don't have enough conviction in what you stand for and what you believe in, to say it out in public and tell us, as the American people, how you are going to act for us, then it makes absolutely no sense to me that you would even be considered for election. In what other world, in what other business, could you not show up for an interview and get a job? So as voters, we the people, the ones with the power, we should demand of our politicians on any side of an election that you go out and have multiple debates to tell us what your position is on certain issues before a single ballot can be cast. Not right up leading to the election where all the mail-in ballots have already been cast, all the early voting's already been done. No, you should interview, you should debate for us before a single ballot ballot could be cast. Please do your job. And I agree, buddy. That is a part of your job. Because what it looks like is if you support or if you have been responsible for some of these really destructive policies that have been put in place that are damaging Americans, that are causing problems for Americans, it looks like you don't want to defend those policies in public. You want to continue to implement them, but not defend them. And that is absolutely not right. It's not democracy. And speaking of democracy, I'd like this to segue us into our first topic here, which is voting, the manner in which we hold our elections, and how that compares to other civilized, developed democracies around the world, 
and some of the rhetoric that's been used to describe people who have had questions and concerns about the 2020 election. So we know that because of COVID, we held an election that was unlike any other in American history. And at the time, for good reason, everybody was scared. Everybody was scared to death. We were trying not to be around each other in large gatherings. I get it, but that produced an election that had an awful lot of chicanery and a lot of state constitutions and state voting laws and election laws were broken during that election. So I think it's fair for us to question the manner in which the election was held. Am I saying that the election was stolen? No, I'm not. I don't think the election was stolen. But do I have some questions about the manner in which we conducted that election? I do. But when people have had questions and concerns about the manner in which the 2020 election was conducted, they have been called insurrectionists, fascists, and many other things. But let me bring this to light. During the 2016 election, there were a whole group of people that were questioning that election. And it just so happens to be the same people that are saying that anyone who questions the 2020 election is an insurrectionist or a fascist. And here's a clip of a whole bunch of liberals, prominent Democrats, questioning the 2016 election, which is most absolutely their right. And they should question it if there are concerns. We should make sure that our elections are free and fair and that the person that wins won fairly and legitimately. But if you question that, you should not be called an insurrectionist because any of these people who questioned this 2016 election, the people that I'm about to play on these clips, I do not think they are insurrectionists. I do not think that they are fascists, and I don't think that they are wrong for questioning the election. But that has to go both ways. So I want you to take a listen to this. I think it's also critical to understand that as I've been telling candidates who have come to see me, you can run the best campaign, you can even become the nominee, and you can have the election stolen from you. So what are you saying? That is Hillary Clinton telling you that the election was stolen from her, that Donald Trump colluded with Russia to steal the election from her, which is false. And that's right. It was false because we now know that impeachment one, impeachment two, Russia collusion, the Steele dossier, all of the Russia collusion stuff was created and generated by the Clinton campaign and paid for. And we know these things now. I'm not making anything up. I'm telling you, we know this based on FBI investigations. This stuff has come out. But if that's not enough for you, here's a whole list of other prominent Democrats exercising their right to protest and object against election results. There's a bit of a preamble on this by an administrator from the Trump campaign, and the clip is a bit long, but I think it is very important that you guys hear this. So please take a listen, hang with me. The clip's a little long, but here we go. Claim that it's wrong to object to the certification of election results. You, along with your allies in the media, attempted to cancel and censor members of this chamber who voiced concerns and objected to certification. Manager Raskin, you'd been in Congress only three days when you objected in 2017. It's one of the first things you did when you got here. I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified. Is the objection in writing and signed not only by the member of the House of Representatives, but also by a senator? It is in writing, Mr. President. Is it signed by a senator? Not as of yes, Mr. President. 
In that case, the objection cannot be entertained. Mr. President, I object to the certificate from the state of Georgia on the grounds that the electoral votes were no not... There's no debate. I object to the certificate uh, from the state of North Carolina based on violations of the There is right no debate. And there is no debate by the, the joint government. session. I object because people are horrified by the overwhelming evidence... Section 18, Title III of the United States Code prohibits debate. Um, I object. Objected to the counting of the electoral votes of the state of Ohio. I object to the certificate from the state of Alabama. The electors were not lawfully certified. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina because of the massive voter suppression and the closing no, of voting polling booths. There is no debate. There is no debate. 16 there is to 1. No debate. And the massive the voter suppression that occurred to African Americans. The general was suspended. I have an objection to the electoral votes. The objection is in writing, and I don't care that it is not, it is not signed by a member of the Senate. I do not wish to debate. I wish to ask, is there one United States senator who will join me in this letter? There is no debate. The uh, objection is, is signed by a member of the House, but not yet by a member of the Senate. Well, it is over. Uh. Oh, my God. Guys, did you hear that? I want you to understand that... They have no evidence. The evidence that they did have was completely fabricated evidence. And we know this now. I'm not giving you an opinion. We know that that evidence of Russia collusion was fabricated. But there's a couple of other buzzwords in there that I think are curious that we should talk about. There is mail-in voting. There is absentee ballots. There is voter suppression. Okay? And when they say voter suppression, what they're saying is... Well, you shouldn't have to have an ID to vote because that's not fair to black people. Okay, that is patently insulting. It is absolutely insulting. I mean, let's start with the fact that as a citizen in the United States of America, you cannot do anything if you do not have an ID. You can't get government assistance. You can't get a driver's license. You literally can't do anything. So if you're an adult citizen of the United States of America, you have an ID, and you have a social security number. So that is ridiculous to claim that it is suppression, voter suppression, to say that somebody has to have an ID to vote. We would be the only sovereign nation on the face of this planet that does not require you to prove that you are a citizen of this country to vote and participate in an election. I mean, come on, guys. This is absolutely ridiculous. And the same people that are standing there calling people insurrectionist and treasonous were the same people on that clip screaming and yelling that they refused to certify the election. The same thing that happened in 2020, but it came from a different side. And it wasn't okay that it came from the other side in 2020. But here's a couple of facts for you, okay? In Europe, where we have some systems that were created and designed that are very similar to ours. In fact, many of them were created after our system in an effort to mimic the system of government and elections that we have in this country. 35 out of 47 European countries have banned absentee ballots. Banned them. They do not accept them because there is such a tremendous opportunity for fraud. If you can't get up and get to the polls to vote, those countries don't think that you have the right to vote. There are very specific circumstances in which you have the right to vote absentee, which means 
not at the specifically designated voting area. Ten countries in Europe require, these countries do accept absentee ballots, but in order to get that absentee ballot, ten countries require that you must have an ID to go pick that ballot up in person. In person. Okay? But, in the United States of America, the left is trying to tell us that if you have to show an ID, that is voter suppression, and specifically, it is racist against minorities. Because they're acting under the assumption that, I guess, minorities don't know how to go get an ID. That is absolutely, fundamentally ridiculous. But they say that this is voter suppression. But there are some states in the country that have put in some new voting laws into their state constitutions. One of those states is Georgia, who just held a series of primary elections in which they required people to show IDs to vote in their primary. And what was the result of that? Was it that voters were suppressed? Oh, no, no. No, absolutely, it was not. Voting was up hundreds of percent. And in spe- and specifically in the black community, voting was up close to 200%. So, having said that, does that mean that voters were suppressed? They were suppressed for having to show an ID. No, that did not happen. It is factually and statistically incorrect. There was no voter suppression. But yet still, this is our president's perspective on requiring people to show an ID to vote. In a clip pulled from Tucker Carlson. One of our biggest problems is voting. It's getting harder and harder to vote. There are some people in America, bigots, let's just call them what they are, who are demanding that we know voters' identities before we let them choose our government. They want people to show IDs at the polls, if you can even imagine, in 2021. These bigots, Joe Biden explained today, are Republicans. And so I'm convinced that we'll be able to stop this because it is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. That's insane. That is insane. And it is offensive to say that people don't need to prove that they're citizens of this country to participate in the most sacred act of democracy, which is voting. Can you imagine if we become the only democracy on the face of the planet that does not require people to prove that they are citizens, the level of corruption that we open ourselves up to? Not to mention the fact that apparently our most distinguished president has completely forgotten what Jim Crow actually was. Jim Crow laws were predicated on separate but equal, okay? And that meant that blacks in the South, these rules and these laws were instituted after the Civil War requiring blacks in the South to go to separate schools, separate polling locations, which oftentimes weren't even open and they weren't allowed to vote. They couldn't go to the same restaurants. They couldn't ride the same public transportation or they had specific seating they had to sit into. Remember Rosa Parks? They had to drink out of the same water fountains. They weren't allowed to go to the same parts of town that white people were. So you please, please explain to me how there is a connection and a correlation to requiring people to prove that they are citizens of this country to participate in our most sacred act of voting. After we have already established that you have to have an ID in this country to do anything. If you want to get a job, open a bank account, own anything, own a house, own property. If you want to do anything in this country, as an adult, you have to have an ID. Right. 
So I think we've established that showing an ID to prove that you are a citizen is not voter suppression, and it is most certainly not Jim Crow. That's an unbelievable comparison, or Jim Eagle, whatever the heck that means. I have no idea. But if you think that that was crazy, let's transition into education in America, because people, we are falling off the map. We used to be that, once again, shining city on the hill that we were the producer and innovators of some of the most amazing things the world has ever seen. These things are falling off because we have teachers that are pushing agendas and personal ideology as opposed to teaching basic school subjects like reading, writing, social studies, math, and science. Instead of that, we have kindergarten teachers, teachers that are educating our young children, teaching them crazy things. Crazy things. And I, I have a clip from a kindergarten teacher that I want to start this off with. This is her personal plan and personal outline that she uses to teach her kindergarten students. I teach my elementary school students about gender identity. Learning about gender identity helps children develop critical social-emotional skills such as self-awareness, social awareness, and respect. I teach my students that there's a whole spectrum of gender identities and that everyone, whatever their gender, deserves love and respect. Some people are girls, some are boys, some are both, some are neither. Gender is all about how we feel on the inside and how we express ourselves. The most important thing I teach my students is that it's our job to listen to and learn from people when they share with us who they are and that we need to use the name and the pronouns that people ask us to use when we refer to them. Here are some of the books and tools that I found the most useful when teaching about gender identity. You are a crazy person. I totally agree that the concept of sexualizing young children is crazy. I couldn't agree with that anymore. Look, here's the science and the reality on gender, okay? When you are born a male, the doctor doesn't make a guess at what you are. Gender isn't how you feel. No, you can feel however you want to feel. I, I get that. I understand that. And if you want to have the feelings that that teacher has, fine. You are entitled to do that. But you are not raising our children. You are not raising our children. School teachers and schools are not raising our children. Okay? Because here's the science on gender. When you're born a male, you have an X and a Y chromosome. When you are born a female, you have X and X chromosomes. And no matter what you transitions to... No matter what surgery you have, no matter what you do, when you are genetically tested, you will always have those chromosomes. And why is that? Because those were given to us by God. God. And we as human beings do not have the power to change those types of things and details within our own genetic code that specify the gender that we are. Okay? But, as if that's not bad enough, we have another form of of an educational system that's being taught in schools, which is called critical race theory. And critical race theory essentially says that if you are white, you are privileged. If you are a minority, you need to be graded on a different scale. You need to be given advantages. This falls in line with the equity theory, right? The difference between equity and equality. So let's lay out the difference between equity and equality here because America is built on equality, not equity. The terminology has changed here recently, but here's the difference. So say we have 100, 100 people looking to get a job. 90 of them are striped and 90 of them are polka dotted. And there are 10 jobs available. Under equality, we would say that 9 out of 10 of those people equally would be 
the striped people. And one would be the polka dotted people because 90% of the people were striped and 10% of the people were polka dotted. Okay. Under equity, five of those jobs would go to the striped people and five would go to the polka dotted people because they need to be given advantages. And I don't think that's true. I think that minorities are just as smart and have all the same capabilities that everybody else does, provided the opportunities which America gives us these opportunities. That's what we're born with, is those opportunities. Given those opportunities, minorities are just as capable as creating and thinking and doing the most amazing things as anybody else is in the world. But here's a clip from a parent pushing back against his school district for trying to push CRT on his child. And just so you know, this man is a minority. So listen to this. I'm biracial, I'm bilingual, I'm multicultural. The fact is in America, in North Carolina, I can do anything I want and I teach that to my children. And the person who tells my little pecan color kids that they're somehow oppressed based on the color of their skin would be absolutely wrong and absolutely at war with me. All of that, the parents don't want it. It's a big fat lie. There's not one belief. If, there, if you believe in CRT, I want to tell you you're a liar. Look, guys, I couldn't agree with that gentleman anymore. One of the strengths of America is our diversity. But in that diversity, it's not focusing on our skin colors. Focusing on skin colors inherently takes us to a place where we are less accepting and less diverse. The diversity in America comes from diversity of opportunity, diversity of thought, diversity of ideas. The free market of ideas, that is the true strength and true diversity of America, allowing us to have different ideas, different opinions, to educate our children in a manner that allows them to do this. Understand this, we have testing coming out now, and we understood that, that schools were probably, students were probably going to take a hit coming out of COVID, but we are now falling behind in education. Fourth grade students are now testing 5 to 7% lower than they were pre-pandemic. And this is a gigantic problem because in the world, we are globally falling behind from an education perspective. This is a gigantic problem, you guys. This is America, the inventors of the automobile and all of these amazing inventions throughout time. We are falling away from that. We need to regain our strength in education, our strength in diversity of thought and ideas. We must do that. But we're going to get deeper into some of these issues as we move further into podcast episodes. And I want to take this opportunity to go ahead and transition us into abortion. Yeah, it's not something that I particularly like to talk about a lot, but I think it's imperative that we have a conversation about it, okay? And, and I want to start by saying that I don't agree with the far left's position because I think it is foul and disgusting, but I also don't agree with the hardcore conservative stance and their perspective on this issue. So let's have a conversation about this, okay? Of course. So let's get into the, the statistics here and let's get into the facts here. So I don't know if you guys have heard or not recently, but the Supreme Court dropped a decision called the Dobbs decision in which it overturned Roe v. Wade, which was a standing law on the books for almost 50 years, in which activists say that in the Fourth Amendment, the right is given for abortion. Guys, I've read, I've read the Fourth Amendment. It is not in there. Abortion is not in there. And the United States Constitution says that anything that is not directly covered in the Constitution itself, those issues go back to the states via the Tenth Amendment. 
Okay, so that's what's happened. There is abortion is not banned. It's just that the issue has gone back to the states so that people in their states can vote on their abortion laws. Because under the 10th Amendment, the 10th Amendment acknowledges and understands that every state in the union is not the same. And people in those areas are going to have different ideological beliefs and things that they want to do differently than other states may do. And that's fine. That is the exact intention of the way that the Constitution, the United States of America, was actually set up, designed for the states to have most of the power, for issues of people living in specific states to vote on that legislation and to vote on people they want to put into place in elections to write legislation based on their own ideology ideal, ideology and point of view. Okay, that's what happened in Roe v. Wade. So we've established it's not in the Fourth Amendment. It's just not. Go read it. It's not there. So the issue goes back to the states, okay? And here's what's going on. The far-right position is that abortion on demand is mostly not going to be allowed, okay? Most far-right beliefs are that there is no abortion on demand, and there are very few restrictions and regulations, but they do consider things like rape incest, and health of the mother, okay? That is going to be the far-right position. I don't know that I particularly stand there. This is the left's position, okay? Total abortion on demand up until the point of birth in which we've actually had some people on the left say that you could actually have an abortion after the baby was born. I'll say that again. After the baby was born, okay? That's not an abortion. That's called murder. All right, and I can't imagine that there are a whole lot of people that are really on board with that because that is really, really disgusting, okay? But I do want to play this clip because it is indicative of what the far left's position is. And I'm spending more time focusing on the far left position here because, wow. So listen to this clip. So how late in the third trimester would you be able to to do that? You know, it's very unfortunate that our physicians, uh, witnesses, were not able to attend today to speak specifically. No, I'm talking about your bill. How late late in the third trimester could a a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the the woman? Or physical health. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm Um, talking about the mental health. So, I mean, through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay. But to the end of the third trimester. Yep. I don't think we have a limit in the bill. So, um, where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth, she has physical signs of, of, that she is about to give a birth, would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman I understand that. that. I'm asking point. if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. Stop it! Right now, at this point in time, you're a lost cause. Stop it! That's madness! So guys, understand that one of the reasons that people on the left don't want to debate right now is because that is their position on this particular issue. An issue that they're trying to use in their favor in the midterm elections. But they don't want to tell you that they stand for this because they realize and they know that it's absolutely abhorrent. Okay? So... If we were to move forward with that as our abortion policy in the United States, how would that compare to Europe? Okay, most of Europe has a policy around 15 weeks abortion on demand with lots of regulations 
and lots of restrictions. They do have some exceptions in most cases, the same exceptions that we spoke of previously, which would be incest, rape, and health of the mother. Okay, if we were to implement the abortion policy that you just heard that the left is pushing in that sound clip, we would have more extreme abortion laws than China and North Korea. I'll say that again. We would have more extreme abortion laws than China and North Korea. And given their human rights violations and their human rights history, I don't think that's quite the category we want to be putting ourselves in. Personally, since I'm the one making the podcast and talking here, my beliefs fall somewhere closer to what Europe does. I think you could go back and forth on 12 weeks, 15 weeks, whatever that that time period is, but that's personally more where my beliefs fall. But I also think that we can take a lot of the federal funding and we can use that funding and utilize it for contraceptives so that we can put ourselves in a position where everybody used to have and take this position on abortion that we should limit abortions to as few as we possibly can. And we have the technology and contraceptives nowadays And now we have federal funding available that used to be spent on abortion clinics that we can reallocate to contraceptive programs so that we can minimize and reduce the amount of abortions that we need to have in this country. We have about 60,000 abortions in the country every year. The number's been falling for decades. But guys, I realize that this is a sensitive topic and it's on a lot of Americans' minds. And in fact, it's been spread all around the world, our particular situation and position that we have on abortion right now. And Europe has railed on us, even though they have abortion policies that are much more restrictive than what we've had in the United States and definitely much more restrictive than what's been posed. But I think it was important to talk about this because people need to understand that abortion has not been banned. The issue has simply been given back to the states so that people can vote on what they want their abortion laws to be. Guys, in many of these deep blue states, the abortion laws are going to be much less restrictive than they previously were. In red states, they may be more restrictive than they previously were. They probably likely will be. But having said that, I think we need to take into consideration that children are the future of our country and of human civilization. And it's imperative that we have families and we continue to populate the earth so that humans continue to exist and thrive on this planet. Having said that, and speaking about the planet, I'd like to segue into our next segment that is going to be climate change. Please give me money. I'm going to touch on this very, very lightly because I think that in order to give this its due respect, this probably requires an entire episode because there are so many statistics and math and sound clips that I have for you guys relative to this particular issue. But we are going to touch on it here. And I'm going to go ahead and push forward into climate change here and give a little bit of statistics for you and give you a little bit of a perspective on where the math says that we are in climate change for the time being. Please give me money. So let's start here. In the 1960s and 70s, People were told that the earth is cooling, that we were all going to freeze to death. But when that ultimately turned out to not be true, they ended up having to change it to something else. Please give me money. So then it changes to global warming. And Al Gore tells us in the early 2000s that in 10 years, New York is going to be flooded over. The oceans will rise so much that New York will be flooded over. 
which is a very interesting concept given the fact that many of these people that are pushing climate change the most own an awful lot of beachfront property. So apparently they don't genuinely believe that the oceans are going to rise and this is really going to be a problem. The other thing is, is that while they're telling all of us to drive EVs and to minimize our carbon outputs, they are flying on private jets all over the world. Please give me money. So then in the early 2010s, when that doesn't happen and all their beachfront properties don't get flooded out, they have to change the name again. So what is the purpose behind this ideology and why are they doing this? And why is this getting pushed so hard when they have been proven incorrect so many times? Please give me money. So what's the truth? What's really going on here? And like I said, we're going to get much deeper into this in later episodes. But here's the reality. There are three groups of people when it comes to climate change. Two of them are groups of scientists. One group of scientists does not believe that man is influencing the climate to the level in which we are being sold. The other group of scientists does. These people have a debate and they use scientific data to support their arguments and their opinions. The third group of people, however, are the people that we are exclusively hearing from now. They are activists, environmentalists, and politicians. Oh yeah, and financial industries, okay? These people have a motive, a motive to do this. And what is that motive? I think you're catching the theme here. Please give me money. Guys, banking systems and politicians are using a system called ESG, and they are pushing this around the world. But countries who have gone furthest into this and acquired the highest ESG scores, countries like Ghana and Sri Lanka, have descended into chaos. Their governments fell apart. They did not have enough energy to supply to their citizens. Energy skyrocketed to the point that people couldn't afford it. And the cost of everything else skyrocketed to the point that they couldn't afford it. Does this sound similar to anything that's going on now? Here, Europe, look at their energy situation. They are in big trouble come this winter. They don't have enough energy to supply their citizens because they're relying on energy sources that cannot produce enough power, just like California, to support the energy demand that their citizens currently have. This is a tremendous problem. Powerful civilizations, successful civilizations, are built on the energy that they produce for their citizens. If we reduce that and we limit ourselves and our power distribution and the ability to distribute power across the United States, we will cease to be a powerful country. We will cease to be a successful, wealthy country. This will not work. Look, windmills and solar panels are great. Okay, good deal. But they are not primary sources of energy. The largest battery plant ever built was the Tesla battery power plant. In order to provide one day's worth of energy for the United States of America, we would need to build 5,000 of those plants. And then we would have to figure out how to dispose of those batteries when they go bad. Not to mention the fact that the materials that are mined, the rare earth materials, they call them rare earth for a reason, that are mined are not mined here in this country. They are mined in very third world places where they strip mine, destroy the earth, and oftentimes use slave or child, child labor to produce these materials. I don't feel like this sounds like a good situation for anybody, but yet I agree. The climate is getting warmer. It is. 
But also keep in mind that four times as many people die yearly from cold weather-related incidents than warm weather-related incidents. That's just a fact, okay? We're talking about fundamentally changing our country. We keep hearing about this energy transition that we're going through. If we do everything, everything that the green energy activists want us to do, we will change the temperature on this planet less than one-tenth of a degree. Okay? So, at the end of the day, as an engineer, technology is going to solve this issue for us. Korea is working on some really spectacular fission and fusion technology where they're essentially creating a little miniature sun. And they just recently had a test where they sustained this for 30 seconds and it got up to 100,000 degrees Celsius. That is an unbelievable amount of heat. And just so you don't know, heat is actually how we produce energy. Whether it's coal, natural gas, nuclear, or whatever, we burn something that creates heat that we then run water across that evaporates that water that causes steam. That steam turns a turbine and that turbine generates electricity. That's how almost all power plants are run. Now you do have hydropower plants that are a little bit different, but instead of burning something, we're using water to turn a turbine. And that's how we create power, electricity. We cannot make enough electricity for this country using windmills and solar panels. In fact, from an efficiency perspective, those windmills and those solar panels are almost as efficient as they can possibly get them. Not to mention the fact that if we move that direction, we are handing our energy grid over to China. I'll say it again. We are handing our energy grid over to our greatest adversary, a country who wants to destroy us and see us fall. This does not sound like a positive direction to move in, especially given the fact that if we do move in that direction, we will continue to see prices skyrocket and Americans will no longer be able to afford to live in this country in the manner in which we have grown accustomed to. That's bad math. You're right, buddy. It is bad math. But you guys, we've touched on a lot of stuff here. I've run a little bit longer than I wanted to, and I apologize for that. I'm trying to keep these things around 30 minutes. But I think it's imperative that we know and understand the reality, the facts of what's happening and what we're being told, because we are oftentimes not being told the truth. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining me here. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Please continue to support us. Please talk about these things. Talk about these things with your families, with your friends, so that we can have discussions, so that we can better come up with solutions to continue to drive America forward to become a more perfect union. So I'd like to thank everybody again. This is Andrew Britton, Red, White, and True Podcast. And always remember, guys, the road to progress is paved in facts. Boom. I love America!